Galatians 5, 13 to 14 and 25, verse 25 to 6, 10, which is on page 1171 of the Church Bibles. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your flesh freedom. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Then to verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also become tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can count, then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Well, good morning again. We are going to dive into the last of our sermons uh, in the book of Galatians. We are going to major just really on the front end of chapter 6. So I apologise, really, if I had another week, which I don't, um, I actually would preach the last eight verses of Galatians. Um, But I do encourage you to go back and and read Paul's wrapping up. Uh, But really what we want to do this morning is to bring this series Uh, to a close. And to do that, I'm going to give you pretty much exactly the same introduction that I gave last year, uh, last year, last week. So 2011, we talked, uh, I reminded you about the Arab Spring, didn't I? And we talked about how there were these popular uprisings in uh, countries across the Middle East to remove dictators and to move uh, towards freedom. Uh, And I also underlined that mostly these had negative results. So in countries like uh, Libya, Syria and Yemen, uh, we saw a descent into civil war with literally hundreds of thousands of people killed. We saw countries like Egypt move back to dictatorship and recently in a 2019 election uh, referendum, uh, almost 90% of those who voted voted to allow their current president to stay in office till 2030. And so they have re-embraced dictatorship. But what I didn't tell you last week is that one country bucked the trend. Does anyone know which country that was? No, you probably don't, because it's almost just a blip in North Africa. When I looked at the... Who who doesn't want to go there? Uh, It was the country of Tunisia. Tunisia actually had the popular uprising, actually deposed the dictator and have embraced a democratic freedom. 
What made the difference? Well, as boring as it sounds, it had institutions that supported the transition to freedom. It actually had governments that worked rather than everything being run through the top. It had these institutions. Now, I told you last week that I think the the Arab Spring really can be a little bit of a metaphor for understanding the book of Galatians. Because as we move into the freedom that becomes ours in Christ, we walk a tightrope. We walk between one side going off into lawlessness, going off into anarchy, going off into, hey, I'm saved by grace, anything goes. But on the other side, because freedom is actually quite uncomfortable, uh, you remember Jean-Paul Sartre, the French uh, philosopher, I quoted him last week, he said that he is condemned to freedom. It is a challenge for us, and for some people they find it, they just want to know the rules, they just want to know what they must do. And so one side you've got lawlessness, on the other side you have legalism. But like Tunisia, there is a third way. There is a way for the Christian to live the authentic life of freedom. And that is God's purpose for us. He tells us in Galatians 5.13 that we were called to be free. God set us free so that we might be free. He didn't set us free that we might return to slavery. He didn't set us free that we might descend into anarchy. He set us free that we might live lives of freedom. And he uses words throughout Galatians 5. He talks about walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Now, last week I also introduced uh, two different types of freedom. Remember this? A positive freedom and a negative freedom. Now, negative freedom is freedom from. And that's how our society tends to think about freedom. A freedom from constraint. A freedom from the rules. No one can tell me what to do. That's how most people conceive of freedom. But it doesn't actually work, can I suggest. And if you dispute that, come and talk to me afterwards or listen to the sermon from last week. But the idea of positive freedom is the, is the biblical ideal. Yes, the Bible talks about negative freedom. We are freed from sin. We are freed from the law. We are freed from slavery. Yes, but we are freed for. And what is that positive freedom? It is to live into the place where we flourish as Christians, where we flourish as people, to actually occupy that space. Because Paul tells us that when we were under sin, when we were under the law, we were like plugged into the wrong PowerPoint. And what was coming into our lives was of the flesh, was of sin, and was leading us to corruption. But what we have through Christ is a freedom that comes to actually live into the place or live in the relationship where we actually flourish. So it's not having no constraints, it's actually having the right constraints. So it's the freedom of the dolphin in the water. A dolphin on the beach, 
not very elegant, okay? A dolphin in the water, in the right constraints, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Or if you've ever driven up north, one of these guys, uh, on the ground, they're cumbersome, they're clumsy. We almost scored one through the front windscreen of the car once. Uh, But you see them in the sky, in the right environment, in the place where they flourish. They are incredible. I can remember walking down off a hill uh, and we could see uh, the shadow of a wedge tail on the ground and then we just had to find, we had the privilege of actually looking down on top of it. It was just circling through the valley, just this amazing image of freedom. It was there. That is the positive freedom. But what is our air to the eagle? What is our water for the dolphin? It is actually a relationship of love with our Heavenly Father. That is where we find freedom. That is where we find security. And the restraints that we as Christians have, the restraints that we have are the restraints of love. That is what they are. In love, God leads us into what is best for us. So if you think about the image of a parent, a parent Parents have flaws, can I say? Some of us have had shocking parents. I'm not talking about those. But a parent who loves their children and wants the best for their children, they don't take them to the side of the freeway and say, we're going to explore what it looks like for you to cross the road. But because I love you so much, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm going to let you just work it out. And there's the cars going past at 110 kilometres an hour and you've got your three-year-old. Go, live, go, be free. Who does that? No one does that. The loving, responsible, caring parent says, this is the best way to cross this road. That is how you do. As the kids grow up uh, and parents, you get to speak into their lives about all sorts of different things, how they negotiate relationships, how they negotiate the challenges of life within the modern world. It's completely irresponsible to stand back and say, I'll just let you work it out by yourself. You guide them, you lead them, and that is what God does in his word. He gives us the restraints of love, and out of love for him, not to earn his love, not to earn his favour, but because we have it, and we know the heart of our Heavenly Father, out of that, we live the way that he has called called us to. And he gives us, The secret to this third way, this other option, he gives us the indispensable ingredient. Look around. That's what he's given you. This is what you need to be Tunisia and not Libya or Egypt. You need each other. Now, throughout scripture, The Bible speaks of the Christian life as essentially communal. And throughout Galatians, we've had images like the children of Abraham. Yes, he's our father by faith, but we are his children and we are family. We are sons and heirs to God. 6 verse 10 speaks of the household of faith. We are family. 
And that, that is what God has given us, that we might stand together in freedom. And family, as we know, it has privileges and it has obligations. But we must recognise that it is essential. If you think you can go alone as a Christian, you're fooling yourself. The Bible does not hold that out as an option. You need a community around us. If you are going to endure in freedom, if you are going to stand to the end, you must stand with others. Which brings us to our points. We've got to stand together so that we will stand. And lastly, to wrap up, we are blessed so that we might bless. So you'll find it there. We must stand together. This is the language uh, that permeates the New Testament when it speaks about us. A language of mutual care. There's a great little exercise that you can do. Uh, if you've got a Bible computer or you can tap into one of those uh, websites, just type one another and look for that little word group. It's one word in the Greek. It's two words in English. Uh, you can chase that down and look and find what Paul and all the other Bible writers tell us about one another because it saturates the New Testament. And that is the image that is here, that we need one another. Now, I was doing uh, a little bit of reading on this, and I came across uh, one of my favourite authors. is a guy called uh, Paul Tripp. Uh, you'll see why he's one of my favourite authors, because he has a moustache that does the rest of you. If you've got a moustache here this morning, doesn't compare to this guy. Here he is. Where is he? You've got to have a moustache. I want to see some moustache action being cultivated. But when he talked about... When he talked about the one-anotherness of the Christian life, when he talked about the church, he used this quote, an intentionally intrusive, Christ-centred, grace-driven, redemptive community. An intentionally intrusive, Christ-centred, grace-driven, redemptive community. Now, how does that sit with you? I reckon you probably like the second line. You probably like the third line. You probably like the fourth line. The first line is probably where you're having the challenges, aren't you? Intentionally intrusive. We look at this and go, oh, I don't want that. But you know what? Let me give you an example of how it works well. Uh, I, uh, I had in the back of my mind I needed to ring someone this week just to follow up how they were. I had some concerns. They were going through a bit of a rough patch. I needed to be in touch with them. Uh, and I finally got to them. I started having the I should ring them moments on Sunday. Uh, and I finally rang them on Wednesday. Because every time I went to ring them, something else got in the way. And the wonderful thing was that this person said, Oh, I've had all these text messages from my growth group. I've had these people ring me. Isn't this great? This person dropped around and da-da-da. And I just thought, no one has just left this person alone. They have intentionally intruded. Not in an intrusive, negative way, but in a loving, positive way. We need each other. And if we are going to stand, 
We need to stand together. And Paul here, as he wraps up Galatians, he gives us a couple of specific examples. He says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. We're not necessarily good at this, can I suggest. We asked this at Bible study on uh, Tuesday night. Who's had this happen? There was a bit of stony silence around the room. We all looked at each other and we possibly could think of some situations. But we live in a society that values individualism and values privacy and doesn't want other people speaking into our lives, particularly about our sin. We don't like it. We don't want to be seen as judgmental. And so we back off. But think about it. Is sin serious? Yes, it is. Sin sent Christ to the cross. Paul tells us that if we live to the flesh... If we indulge the sinful nature, that we will not inherit the promise to Abraham. He tells us that sin is a cancer that will eat you out individually and as a community. But we don't feel that we should speak about this. But Paul says we should. If someone is caught in a sin. Now what he's not saying He's not saying that every time you see someone step out of line, you smack them down. No. What he's talking about is when someone is ensnared in something, maybe they see it, but they can't get free of it. Maybe they don't see it. But that you come alongside in a spirit of gentleness, literally. You come alongside with humility, knowing that you as a sinner saved by grace have no special resources other than that is available to all of God's people. When it says you who live by the spirit, it's not talking about the spiritual elite. It's just talking about those who are walking faithfully with the Lord, who are walking by the spirit, who are living in step with the spirit he's talking about sinners gently and humbly working with others to see them flourish in grace now this is one mode can i say the entire book of galatians is another mode of working with sinners and we've read some fairly strong language from paul what paul here is talking about is people who are just almost unwittingly snared It's another thing when someone deliberately chooses to walk away, deliberately chooses to embrace sin. And Paul, throughout this letter, has modelled a much stronger, much stronger approach. And in love, sometimes we do need to point out, if you go this way, it is totally incompatible with the faith that you say that you have. We need to speak strongly on occasion, but mostly, It is the humility of one sinner gently restoring another. The image here is 
Uh, one, or the, the word used for restoration is, is relocation of a dislocated joint. Now, if you've got a dislocated shoulder, maybe you've had those kind of things, you don't want someone coming in pretty hard, okay? I, uh, I have a confession to make this morning. Uh, my, my wife at one point had a little finger uh, on her left hand that was out that way. And I went, oh, great, you've dislocated it. And being the good physio, I just relocated it for her and then strapped it up. And three days later, she had an x-ray and she had a wonderful spiral fracture all the way through it. And I just grabbed a finger, tugged on it and just thought, oh, yeah, I can do that. You want someone to go gently. <laughs> you want someone to restore that. The aim is restoration. The aim is not to win the argument. The aim is not to make yourself look good. The aim is to restore. And that is what we do with one another. Gardening illustration. Why gentleness? If you've been to gardening, I'm, I'm an old guy now, I like gardening. And those horrible weeds come up. What happens if you go in hard with the weed? You just rip the top off it, don't you? And the root's there and it comes back. I think this works with sin. Because if we go in hard, what happens? Sin hides. Sin hides because they either leave or we're not open with each other. We won't show it to each other because pride and fear get in the way. But if you go in gently, you can help that person by God's grace to see the roots of that sin taken out of your life. That's what you're aiming for. So you go in gently in love to restore the other. Paul goes on. He says, carry each other's burdens. This way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, burden is non-specific. A burden is anything that burdens you, isn't it? It could be relationship. It could be finance. It could be loneliness. It could be anxiety and worry. It could be pain or sickness or age. Paul says, whatever it is, we need to be prepared to be inconvenienced ourselves so others might be helped. Because if I'm taking a burden off you, I'm being burdened, aren't I? It's kind of like, many of you will know, I love, I love hiking. Uh, this is uh, one of my children, uh, who's now embarrassed because I've put a photo. It, it's your back, Rebecca. No one can see anything. Uh, and here we are, and she's carrying everything she needs on her back there. Uh, can I say, this was not, I didn't need to do this, but it could have been that I could have gone, hey, Beck, you're really struggling with that load. Let me take some of that. And where do I put it? We either leave it beside the trail, which isn't really an option because you need your stuff while you're hiking, or I put it in my bag. Someone carries the load. And Paul says, we need to make sure everyone gets to the end. And if that means that you pick up some of their load, if you come alongside and you visit the lonely, you feed the hungry, you comfort the grieving, you share with those who lack. If you carry their burdens, they may well make it to the end. We need each other. What gets in the way? Well, Paul gives us a few things. He tells us in uh, verse 25, or it's verse 26, he says, let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. He tells us in 6 verse 1, he says, watch yourselves that you may also be tempted. Now, if you're coming alongside a sinner, what's the temptation? 
Well, maybe if they're struggling with alcohol, theoretically, I suppose you could be struggling, you could be led into that. But I think the big temptation is pride, isn't it? You know, thank goodness I'm not like Jeff. You know, he's got so much sin in his life. I am so good. That would be the issue, wouldn't it? And when there is pride and when there is conceit, it doesn't work. It breaks down community. If people are building themselves up, and here he talks also about envying. That's on the other side of the equation. The less mature, looking at those spiritual gurus and saying, oh, I could never be like that. Oh, you know. But what does the gospel do? It levels us. It says the entirety of the church are sinners saved by God's grace, not by your works. Pride, conceit, envy, they destroy community. I, um, I can remember reading a book called You Are Special by Max Alcada. Did anyone ever read this book? Okay, it's a kid's book. There's a couple of hands being waved around. And there's these little people called Wemmicks. They're like little puppets. And they go around, uh, and you can see the, the guy across on the left, or, or on the far side, the blonde guy. He's got little stars on him. And this guy in the middle, his name's Punchinello, and he's got little dots on him. And they go around, and they either stick stars or dots on each other. And so they either sort of, hey, good, good mark or a bad mark. And you can see Punch and I has got a few too many spots. Okay, and so you have the happy, shiny Wemmicks and they have great lives and you've got the others that are just drudging along. And the whole story that is there is all about how you shouldn't be finding your sense of worth in the approval of others. You actually find it in Christ. You find it in God. And that's the, that's the moral behind the story. You can read the book. But we can do this. If we are proud... We may not intentionally think this, but we're like we're sticking little black marks on people. We make them feel like they are somehow less deserving of grace. If we are envious, well, we're sticking stars on people. We're saying, you're more deserving. The gospel says, no, 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 no. No one is deserving. And everyone is freely blessed by grace through Christ. Do you see how wonderful that is if the gospel is at the heart of the community? What threatens it? Pride and conceit and envy. And can I say, one of the biggest threats is me. Here we have Galatians 6.6. Why does Paul chuck something about pastors or teachers in there? The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Why does he throw that in here? Well, I think the problem that Staff, pastors, leaders bring to any congregation is that you can sit there and go, that's your job. And so we're talking about Matt. The biggest fear I have about putting an associate on next year is that it will actually make Trinity Church Brighton less the body of Christ because we delegate responsibility to pastors. Pastors have roles. My primary role is a preacher and a teacher of God's word. That's what I look for in staff. That's why we set people aside so they don't have to earn a living in other ways and they can spend the time in God's word. And God says that's a good thing. And you should do that. 
But here you have this idea of sharing all good things. There's a mutuality that flows both ways. As one exercises gifts to serve others, others exercise gifts to serve that. Can I just speak personally here? Um, This is the biggest threat for pastors. The burnout rate of pastors, and some of us have seen this in pastors that we've had in churches before, the burnout rate that I've seen by 10 years is 50%. Of people who believe under God their job, their role, their gifts, their godliness is sufficient to lead God's people. One of the things that gets in the way, and can I say sometimes pastors are their own worst enemies in this. One of the things is, is this mutuality gets lost. And it becomes, let me serve you. Let me feed you. And I can be complicit to this, can I say. But what Paul says is for a godly, healthy church, there needs to be a mutuality. And so don't ever think that your pastor is beyond correction. Don't ever think that your pastor doesn't need the ministry of someone gently restoring them from their sin of someone coming alongside them and carrying their burden. Sometimes pastors don't like putting that out there because it might make you feel that maybe I'm not sufficient to lead. Can I say something publicly? I'm a sinner. I sin every single day. I'm not perfect. But I, like you, am saved by grace, through faith, through the work of Christ. That is what is there. And I, like you, must stand with you if I'm going to stand to the end. If you want to go a bit further, I love the title of this book. The book your pastor wishes you would read but is too embarrassed to ask. It's a great book. And it talks about how to actually encourage your pastor. It costs about eight bucks. Okay, let's keep going. We need to stand together, so we will stand. Okay, Paul says, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, can I say, I don't normally like criticising the New International Version translation that we use. Um, This is confusing. Because he's just told me that I have to carry someone else's burdens. Now he's going to tell me that I've got to carry my own burdens. And can I think, can I just suggest, I think the NIV has kind of made a bit of a botch of this. Because they've lost a few things. They've lost a future tense and they've changed a word around because they don't like it. It literally says this. It says, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Yes. Then they will have the boast. They will have future tense in themselves alone and not in the other. For each one will carry their own load. It's future. I don't have to both carry my own load here if I'm struggling and someone else. So we don't want people going, no, 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 Paul's told me I've got to carry my own load. You can't carry this with me. No, but he is saying that there is a point where you must stand before God in judgment. And at that point, 
you will bear testimony to God's work in your life, not in the lives of others. God's work in your life, that's the boast. You are boasting in the work of grace in your life. And then uh, you are also, you carry your own load because you cannot be saved by someone else's righteousness. Oh, you can, Christ's. But in some ways, what the false teachers were doing, they were boasting in the Galatians. And Paul is saying there will be a time where you need to actually stand on your own two feet. This is throughout scripture. If you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, look at the parable of the talents, where the master goes away, leaves his servants to do some work, comes back and then calls them to account. We all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account. Let's keep going. He warns us. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. You reap what you sow. In eternity, if you sow to please the spirit, eternal life. If you sow to please the flesh, destruction. But in the here and the now, So Paul's given us an image, if you flick back, if you've got your Bibles there, uh, to uh, verse 15 of chapter 5. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed. It's an image of cannibalism. As the envy, as the corruption within the church is working itself out, they are literally eating each other alive. You reap what you sow, yes, in eternity, but in the here and now. And so Paul tells us that if we embrace the life that indulges the sinful nature, we will not inherit, but it will have catastrophic results in the here and the now. Paul tells us that we must sow to the Spirit, and when we do, that God will give us an inheritance, the inheritance that is freely ours in Christ. It sounds a little bit like if I work hard enough, God will save me. God will bless me. But what he is saying is you are part of the family. The inheritance is yours. This is the life of the family. This is how the family live. And if you live like that, it may well be evidence that you are not part of the family. The Christian through Christ, by grace, through faith, lives now in the freedom to choose to please, to sow to the Spirit. And Paul is confident that they will do nothing less. Go back and look at the works of the sinful nature in chapter 5. Ask yourself, Do I need to repent? Heed the warning. What's it say at the end? It says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit. The family likeness works itself out. What's Paul say in verse 6 of chapter 5? The only thing that counts is faith working itself out in love. And that leads us to our last point. We are blessed so that we may bless. Paul really brings the whole of Galatians to a climax 
He brings the whole of Galatians. He talks about how God has called Abraham and made a promise that he is fulfilled in Christ. And through faith in Christ, we tap into that promise. Through Christ, we have been blessed. We have inherited this promise. We are true children of God through Christ. Heirs of the promise, recipients of the spirit. And we bear the family likeness. The spirit works through us to take that faith and to work it out in love. So how do we do it? He tells us to not be weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially as those who, to those who belong to the family of believers. Let me give you two things. We could unpack this forever. Acts of service, words of testimony. I think a Christian should be proactive to bless. I think as you walk around the house, you should look for opportunities to bless. I think as you go out in the car, you should look for opportunities to bless. What's your reaction when someone wants to cut in front of you? I think as a Christian, we should go, be my guest. Go for it. Go for it. We should be on the front foot to bless. We should leave every person better for having encountered us. Leave every person better for having encountered us. And that includes the student that you've just had to fail or you've had to pull up for the discipline or the employee that you've had to have the hard word to. The challenge for the Christian is how to do this in a way that blesses them. Every person better for having encountered us. And we shouldn't overlook the little things. The power of a smile, a hello, a polite answer. You know, the person that you ring up on the telephone to complain about something how do you do that in the way that they get off and they said, I had a hundred rubbish phone calls today, but that person was really nice. How do we deal with that? Or do we just join the tribe? The word of encouragement, the gesture of thanks, the blessing of simply listening to someone. Not sitting there with your phone or thinking about what's next, but actually just giving them the presence of your Attention that is there. Big stuff too. But we can make such a difference in people's lives. We can be such a blessing by the little stuff. But it's not just our words. It's not just our actions. It's our words. Peter said to Jesus, you alone have the words of eternal life. That is what we have. That is what Paul fought for in Galatians from beginning to end. We have the message of how people can plug into true freedom. How they can come to know God as the loving Heavenly Father, the one who will bless them. The only one who can deliver us from slavery to sin, to death, to corruption, and to give us true freedom. We're going to spend some more time in the next couple of weeks after the Proverbs series talking about how we might do this next year, particularly as a church.
But I'm going to stop now and I'm going to pray. And then I think we have Jane coming to lead us in more prayer. So let's pray. Father, what a blessing. What a blessing you have given us in your word that you lead us into all truth. Father, you show us where we can be truly human, where we can live lives of authentic freedom, where we can truly bless others because we have been blessed by you. Father, let us live in that freedom. Let us hold it wholeheartedly. Let us never let it go. And Father, we pray this in Christ's most precious name. Amen.